Welcome to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello, I'm Fraser Allen and this is episode 15. For some businesses, bids and tenders are critical pipelines of new revenue. However, putting a bid together can be stressful, time-consuming and when it doesn't go your way, very frustrating. As someone with a wealth of experience on the client side of bids, latterly with British Gas, Andrew Morrison spotted this and, in 2014, set up AM Bid, a business focused on getting his pitch clients over the winning line. Andrew provides us with a bit of a masterclass on the challenges of bidding, as well as revealing how he has meticulously built up a business that has hit its growth targets every year and is set to turn over £1 million this year. He also explains the role of Scottish rugby legend David Soule in the business. Like myself, Andrew is a member of the Scottish Business Network, which you can find out more about at sbn.scot. But for now... Let's head over to Andrew's home deep in the East Lothian countryside where, whilst chatting, we enjoyed glorious views across the fields in the early spring sunshine. Andrew Morrison, founder and guiding light of AM Bids, uh, who are bid and tender specialists. Can you start by telling us how the idea for the business came, uh, came about in the first place? Well, I've been working in bidding for a fair number of years and uh, I was working at this point at British Gas and um, had managing five bid teams across the UK, but sometimes using um, external um, specialists to come in, either perhaps we were moving into a new market or to provide training, um, or sometimes we would bring people in because even with a company the size of British Gas, we sometimes had more bids than, than, than our bid teams were able to cope with. So I started to meet people that were external specialists working as uh, consultants and thought this would be a good thing to do. I had thought about it before, Mm. but uh, before working at British Gas, I worked for a property services business called Orchard and Shipman. Um, But when I spoke to some of my friends who were in business and I said, thinking about setting up on my own, they said, well... With the greatest of respect, it's quite a relatively small company you're working for that most people won't have heard of. It might be better if you go and work at a big name mm. that everybody's heard of. That will bring your learning on, but also it will give you more credibility when you're saying, well, if you can say, well, I've managed most of the bidding function in British Gas, sure. that means yeah. something to people. Uh, whereas a smaller company, that name brand recognition wasn't necessarily there. Right. So did you harbour a, a desire from quite a, a way back to set up your own business? No, I think probably probably only only about about five years, perhaps five or six years before actually right. setting it up. Right. I was somebody who had always worked in large organisations. Mm. I'd worked in local government for 12 years. And then even Orchard and Shipman was, a, was an organisation of fair size, yeah. uh, spread across London and, and Edinburgh, and dividing my time largely between the two. And then, of course, British Gas, one of the biggest companies in the UK. Yes. So I didn't have a lot of experience of, I didn't have any experience running a business, and not even a lot of experience of what it was like work, you know, working for a small organisation. So what did it feel like, those first days when you've left the cocoon of the sort of bigger businesses and presumably you started at home, did you? I started at home, which is where we're doing the interview Mm. at the moment, uh, just near North Berwick, uh, just outside Edinburgh, and started with my trusty old laptop and my network, um, which at that time was not massive. Um, I think I left Orchard and Shipman in 2010. I had just started a few years before that using LinkedIn. had about 150 connections. Decided when I went to British Gas, I really wanted to reach out to people that I was meeting and connect with them on LinkedIn. So I left there with, I think, 1,600 connections. Um, And between that, joining very quickly the local Chamber of Commerce... Mm. Um, starting to write articles uh, on LinkedIn, having a friend that helped me help me with um, creating a, a website, uh, but I suppose I th- I underestimated maybe just uh, how how much effort is involved to get a business off the ground. Right. 
but a bit like the aeroplane once the aeroplane's yeah. up in the sure, air yeah. it's a bit in, easier in what sense in, get, in, in getting the clients yeah right. getting the yeah. clients getting mm. getting my name out there mm. um, most of the early clients that I got were um, maybe smaller companies and they, they hadn't necessarily thought of using a bid specialist mm. but they were struggling with the bids themselves either right. due to lack of time or maybe they were heating engineers or IT companies or small legal firms, but their specialism wasn't in writing bids. Right. But they'd never used a bid specialist before either. So, um, and there, there was all kinds of things around, you know, setting my prices, around deciding when was going to be the right time to hire staff, and even just the amount of bureaucracy let's say that you've got to comply with when mm. you are because because yeah. I set up as a limited VAT registered company right from day one yeah yeah uh, so there was quite a lot of um, things that I had to do there right. um, and whereas before I never had to issue an invoice I never had to worry about payment mm. I never had to worry about legal contracts I didn't have to uh, worry about you know, being completely compliant with HR because the HR departments helped me as a manager mm. to be compliant. Now I was responsible for all of these things, getting insurances for the business, yep. you name it. Um, and at the same time, trying to grow grow a business. So did, did you have any, any doubts or did, were you actually just quite really enjoying this, this challenge and doing all these new things? I was enjoying it. Um, I remember... Uh, accountants, I realised I would have to, because I was setting up as a limited company, I'd have to have a proper accountant, mm. at least for the statutory part of it. So just before I started the business, I interviewed three local accountants. Mm. And one um, said to me, oh, I can show you how to do most of it yourself. And that'll keep your costs down. Uh, but I said, no, I'm very clear, I'm going to build a bid business. Mm. And it's going to be an outsourced bid team for companies that, that don't have their own bid team or to augment where they've got their own. And I'm going to be telling people, you're not a bid specialist, why not work with a bid specialist, see mm. the difference it makes? So I'm not going to now do all my own accounts. Sure, yeah. That's not my thing. I probably could do part of it, but it would take up my time. But one lady that I interviewed, a lady called Krista Cameron, based in, in Haddington, uh, close to where I live, um, she was on the board of the local chamber of commerce mm. and she also had you know a number of staff she was set up to do payroll bookkeeping vat etc and she could help introduce me to the chamber and i thought that's exactly the sort of accountant that i want to partner with right and she said to me what's this business going to be i said in year one it'll turn over a hundred thousand in year two it'll be two hundred thousand in year five it'll be a million pounds and after that it'll be close to being ready to hand on to somebody else to lead it mm -hmm. although I'll still own it and perhaps after eight years or so the business will be sold. Right that's a very clear vision and, and how on track are, are you with that so far? Exactly right. <laughs> exactly so year one was 91,000 revenue year mm. two was 268,000 year three was 464 year four was 729 and right. sitting halfway through now, year five, I can confirm we're well on track for right. a million. We've had no investment, we've mm. no debt, no loans, no borrowings, and it's all been organic growth, and we all get paid proper salaries as well. Right. And it's profitable every year. A, a lot of business startups would be really jealous of that kind of scenario when you just hit those targets that people often put in their initial business plans and never get anywhere near. Do you have any tips as to, as to how you can succeed in, in meeting those goals along the way? Um, it has required me to take take the brave pill. So <laughs> I'll tell you a couple of incidents. My, my first client, uh, a company based in Glasgow, very clever man who'd built, who'd built a business, quite a large, reasonably large business employing, I think something like 120 people. He said to me, I'm going to, I'm going to get, you know, bring you in to do some bids. And he says, what other customers have you got? And I said, none, you're my first one. He says, that's great. He says, I'm going to get you cheaper. Yeah. And he says, I'm going to negotiate a cheaper price with you because I'm your first mm -hmm. customer. I said, okay. I said, but you're only going to have that cheaper price for three months. Yeah. Then I'm going to put the price up. Yeah. So I did that. I put the price up at the end of three months. Mm. And he didn't give me any more work. Right. Um, 
because he he really wanted a cheap price. Right, right. And he managed to get the cheap price for you know for three months, and it mm. wasn't mm. you know it was it was probably about a week's work every month for three months and mm. worked out at. At the same time, I also got asked to um, go and meet somebody who who worked for a FTSE 100 business. And he offered me a full-time job, which I turned down. He offered me five days a week on contract for two years, mm. which I turned down. Now, remember... I was, only... was this a job to manage bids? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, but he was, you know, he wanted me to set, set up a bidding function. Mm. It, it, was a, it was a division of a FTSE yeah. 100 company. He wanted me to set up uh, a bidding function. He wanted me five days a week for two years at, at a contractor rate. And I remember I'm sitting with only about a week's work a month at mm. this point. Um, and I turned that down and he said, well, what can you do for me? I said, I'll do two days a week for two years. And um, he said, what price? And I told him my daily rate. And he said, so what discount will you give me for two years guaranteed work? I said, none. I said, but I'll, I'll guarantee not to put the price up for two years. Mm. But at the end of two years, the price will go up. Right. I said, with the two days a week, we can flex it. If you're really busy, I'll do a bit more. If mm. you're quieter, I'll do less. Mm. I said, because I really want to build a business. Mm. The business I'm wanting to build is multi-sector, not just one sector, which you're in. And it's a business that's going to be employing people, so I've got to have time for them. And it's going to have clients across the UK and Ireland, so I'm going to be, I'm going to be spending time building that. So that's why two days a week is the most I can give you. Sure. Um, later on, about a year, a year later, when I started employing staff, I, I got a tremendous um, job offer as well, right. um, unsolicited, which at the time when I was working, employed, and if I got that job offer, I would have taken it. Right, you know, okay. It was an offer mm. with one of the company, the country's largest um, businesses and probably the one that does some of the most bidding. So a very exciting job based in Edinburgh and also London. Mm. Ideal for me, but I was very firm, no, I'm not doing it because I've started employing people now. I've started a business. I've mm. left one of the mm. country's biggest companies. So I've left employment and I'm now, I'm now a business owner. Right. But that's taken courage because it's a bit like the trapeze. I think the, the trapeze artist isn't to look down. Mm. And I've had to not look down, just carry on. Right. And in, in terms of your clients... Um, what typically are the sort of problems they tussle with and what are some of the common mistakes that they make that you can help them with? Well, I think they're tussling with the fact that they will often be good at what they do mm. but not necessarily good at the bid process. So the bid process is a fairly complex process. It is um, weighted in favour of people that are academic types. So you're having to write... Um, quite a lot of method statements, mm. written responses, proposals that are akin to something that you would produce, say, at university in terms of the level of evaluation, in terms of the writing skills. You're writing sometimes to university sector, for example. You put a semicolon where it should be a colon. And even things like that sure. you know, can jeopardise your bid. Right. So, uh, over and above helping people with that how, how do you feel that you add value to people's bids and tenders well I would say we add value to their business okay even more than just to their bids and tenders because we are bringing business experience we're bringing expertise we are working for companies large and small right across the UK and Ireland and for example on a bid health and safety might be a question on a bid or customer care might be a question or training might be a question well, we actually write bids just about these subjects. So we're able to really bring sure, yeah, uh, yeah. quite a lot of extra. Mm. And we also um, advise them even around the tactics of bidding, around the clarification questions that they mm. can ask to level the playing field. Because often there can be a situation where they are pricing what, what they think the buyer is looking for. But actually, they've put more bells and whistles on it than the buyer is looking for, right. or that the other bidders are, are pricing. So we can flush all that out mm. to get to a level playing field, right. which brings the prices closer together and makes it more likely then that the bid will be won or lost on its quality. Mm. 
So typically our clients are experiencing being third or fourth on price yep. and being first on quality okay. and winning overall. Yep. And that's the ideal scenario. Is there an issue with if you're working closely with a client over maybe a year or two, um, they're going to pick up quite a lot of uh, expertise from yourselves about to how, how to handle the bids. So is there an issue with actually kind of losing clients after a certain period because they feel they can do it themselves? That can happen. So we have a, we have a methodology. That we've got a proven work-winning methodology um, for handling our bids. We've got a three-person bid team we bring to everything as well. We've got a director who comes with the strategic points of the bid. We've got a writer-manager who does what it says on the tin. Yes. And we've got an executive who will do the proofing, formatting, infographics, portal management, etc. So there's three brains mm. and three pairs of eyes coming on to all of our bids. So uh, it's not necessarily directly replicable at our client end unless they've got these three people. Uh, if they try to replace us with just one person doing it, uh, they may have some success because some of if the bids that they're doing are a bit similar, then mm. they can repurpose some of the content which yeah, we've created course, yeah, for yeah, them. Yeah. Um, and we've got examples. We've got some clients who, when I'm thinking about um, a firm in Glasgow, they they got us our help with four bids. I think they won three of them, and they said we're going to run it ourselves now. Right. But they've now come back to us because, of course, as time goes on. Maybe the content gets a bit tired, the market changes, sure. or there's some must-win bids where they think, do you know mm-hmm. what, this just needs the extra the AM bid right. can, can provide. So I'm, I'm not precious about knowledge. I think if you give knowledge away, you share your expertise, um, usually um, people know when they need you. And, mm. and sometimes I get people because of articles I write on LinkedIn about bidding mm. and I've got my own kind of LinkedIn stalkers that phone me and say, we've been reading your articles for two years. Now we've got this fintech Great. bid that's a must-win yep. bid and you're the person or you're the company we want. Right. So That's what you want to hear. Yeah. yeah. And do you, uh, do you accept sort of work from any sectors or do you focus on particular sectors that you would regard as being your specialist areas? Yeah, well, we're bid specialists, so we don't claim to be subject matter experts in all the different sectors. What we say is our client is a subject matter expert, mm. the person we're writing the bid for. Yeah. Our job is to tell their story in a compelling way. Mm-hmm. So we're sector agnostic. Okay. However, having said that, I would say that probably 50% of our work comes from the construction sector, utilities, mm. facilities management, infrastructure, professional services, um, and IT. They're probably that probably makes up fifty percent, and then the other fifty percent can be in all kinds of sectors. I mean, we've done bids for, you know, making dentures and all kinds right, of things. Right. You know, all what's kinds the strangest one you've done? Random things. Well, that that one's got to be up there. Um, we've 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 I think one of the most interesting ones that we did was was for uh, the prison service uh, a, a company bidding into the prison service and that involved um, visiting prisons actually in both Scotland and England that even though they're managed by different prison services yeah. um, this this allowed us to actually visit our clients mm. um, contracts in the English prisons and then to do some of the site visits right. in some of the right. Scottish prisons yeah. so I found that really really interesting because um, being somebody that is law abiding I had never been in a prison in my life before so uh, it was uh, it was an eye opening experience abs- absolutely, yeah. absolutely I yeah. met a lot of Really interesting people there, both yeah. in the prison staff and also getting to speak to some of the prisoners right. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's competition like in your sector? Are there lots of other businesses doing the same sort of thing? Uh, not in Scotland. So in Scotland, we are Scotland's largest bid and tender specialists. Um, there are a few English-based firms who have got some staff in Scotland. Um, there are a few Scottish-based firms. They tend to be quite small. Quite often it's one person, mm. one man, one woman bands, um, or somebody employing a couple of people. Um, we've, of course, got staff in Edinburgh, Glasgow, Manchester and London. Right. Um, so we've got a pretty good spread of staff. And How associates. many staff do you have now? We've got 10 now, yep. um, and it is continuing to grow. Right. 
we, um, as far as competition goes, I would say there's nobody does exactly what we do. So there are other people that, that, that will do bid writing, mm. but often they will give you a bid writer and okay. it won't be the three-person bid team mm. that, that, that we are talking about. Right. So we are pretty niche. Okay. But is, is it difficult to source staff for what is quite a niche uh, area of expertise? Um, well, there are a lot of bid staff because the, the, there's a tremendous amount of bidding goes on. So the public sector okay. across the UK puts out £240 <coughs> billion pounds a year of goods and services to tender. So that's the public sector. The private sector, in terms it's often called proposals, they issue requests for quotations, RFQs, requests for proposals, RFPs. Um, so there is a whole sort of private sector proposal market going on right. as well. And there's often in the third sector, there's bidding goes on, but there's also a lot of grant application mm. And you know funding applications, which are like bids as well. Okay. So there are, um, I would say, tens of thousands of people across right. the UK working in bidding. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a professional body called the APMP right. that we are corporate members of, and our staff all have professional bid qualifications. So how do you go about recruiting people? Is it you, is it kind of a bit of headhunting going on? Or yeah, you I mean I've. Obviously, I've been working in the sector for quite a number of years, so I've been able to bring people into the business that yeah. have worked for me before yeah. um, or that I've known, sort of. Um, but, of course, as the business builds, I'm getting near the end of that now. Right. Um, we have used recruitment firms. Um, I've got a big network on LinkedIn now of, over, I think, just over 10,000 connections, many of whom work in bidding. Mm. So um, I do get approaches from people. Um and getting people, it's important for us as well to get people that, that understand what we do. So we we work remotely mm. or we work in our clients' offices or in city centre meeting rooms. Our clients are across the UK and Ireland, so there will be a bit of travel. Yep. Um, our clients don't always send us information during the traditional working day. Right. Uh, I had a client emailing me backwards and forwards after 10 o'clock last night. Right. Um, so people have to be prepared to work flexibly yes it's also got benefits because you know sometimes people can have time off during the working day yes. to make up for you know, of course yeah, other yeah. Times. and it keeps your overheads very low as well overheads are low uh, although when it comes to things like team meetings and getting together right, which right. we do we we speak as a team every week on the phone mm. we meet for a couple of days three, every three months mm-hmm. so there are hotel bills and meeting room bills uh, you know, and meal bills to pay for that period, yes. but then we don't have offices. But for our staff, the benefits to them are every time they leave their house, it is expensed because they've got home contracts. So right. if they're if they're coming to meet us in an office in town, mm. you know they can they can charge expenses, sure, yeah. whereas yeah. they're not having and they're also not having dead commuting time either. Right. I believe in terms of recruitment as well, you've actually won an award for. Uh, graduate recruitment, um, and there's a lot of talk about the whole millennial work- workforce and so on. How does how does that fit in with your culture? Yes, it's quite an interesting fit. So we've got probably about half of our staff are millennials, and some are just outside, you know, that that millennial window. Um, so millennials enjoy working for us. They enjoy the variety. They enjoy the training that they get. Um, they enjoy the opportunity to work a bit flexibly. What they don't enjoy sometimes is they don't, en- or, or some, and it's, it's wrong to overgeneralise. So not all millennials behave exactly the same way, mm. but many of them do. I mean, there is a generational thing yes. going on there. Um, and uh, a couple have left us because they wanted an office environment. Sure. My first employee worked for us for two years after graduating from university. So... I know I taught him a lot of what I know, uh, but at the end of two years, he came in all honesty and said, you know what, I'm 
still only 24 mm. and I do need to get out there and get into a big office and yeah. meet lots of other people sure. so we, we've kept friendly yes. and who knows he might come back uh, in the future sure. when he gets sick of working in a big office yeah perhaps <laughs> but uh, caught up with him recently and he's still enjoying the big office that's good uh, but he does miss us mm-hmm. and uh, yeah I think I'm viewing anybody that's ever worked with the Embed as part of the Embed family really in the Embed sure, yeah. story yeah um, you've also put uh, quite a lot of focus into uh, applying for award, you know, entering awards, and and have done very well in that. Why do you think that's quite important for for your business? There's nothing gets your name out there more than awards, and a lot of people want to connect with you, um, and sharing your sort of joy of even being shortlisted. What I find is that actually being shortlisted is almost as good as winning it. Because you're able to sort of say you've been shortlisted, you're able to then look forward to the event, yes. you're able to congratulate the winner if you don't win, and it's like a gift that keeps giving, mm. and it becomes a, a, like an award community of the other people you meet who are also up for awards. Sure. There's the sponsors of the awards, there's the judges of the awards, so you just, you really grow your network, and um give you an example, um, the Institute of Directors in Scotland. I wasn't I wasn't even a, a member of IOD last year, about a year ago just now, actually. It was, I think right. it was 22nd of March. Yeah. I won the Emerging Director of the Year for Scotland, uh, which was a massive award mm. and has led on to all kinds of things, including uh, an evening with Nicola Sturgeon with the award oh, winners really? at the right. House uh, in Edinburgh. Um, but that winning that award... Um, on the night, I just put a picture of the award out on LinkedIn. Mm. It got 30,000 views. It got over 400 likes. It got over 100 comments. And it also got as a very big client, um, right. one of Scotland's largest firms, you know, managing um, director of that organisation, was sat in the audience and thought, uh, our bids are not as good as they could be. Yeah. We, need this, we need this company. And yeah, they're one of our largest Brilliant. clients now. So things like that so, de- definitely, definitely get your message out there. Right. So as well as um, doing well with awards, so you're obviously a bit of a, a real mean hand on uh, LinkedIn in terms of knowing how to do that. Uh, any tips for people who, who who haven't really got heavily involved in LinkedIn in terms of how to build a network? Yeah, I mean, I'm getting more into it actually. You know, I still feel I'm not I'm not into it mm. um, fully yet. Although Russell Dalgleish of the Scottish Business Network <laughs> said to me, he says, there's only two people who've really cracked LinkedIn in Scotland, he says, me and you, <laughs> which is quite uh, quite flattering. But um, what I'd say is to build your network, everybody you meet, hmm. um, try and connect with them on LinkedIn. Yep. And if there's a delegate list at an event you go to, you'll never get to speak to all these people. Hmm. But either before the event, if you get it, delegate list what I do is I reach out to them on LinkedIn yep. and say hi you know I'm Andrew Morrison I run AM Bid Scotland's large sure, yeah, tender yeah. specialist coming to the same event as you you know would, would be great to meet you if possible yep. now what you find is that you know maybe you do that to 20 people mm. about 18 will connect with you mm. approximately yep. and one or two say bidding that's just what I'm needing help with Yes. Can we arrange to meet? Yeah, yeah. So we actually meet at the event. Right. If it's after the event, you know, and we get the list at the event, mm. I will then connect them and say, we're both at the same event. Sorry, I didn't get a chance to speak to you. Sure, yeah. yeah I do yeah. this. Maybe, yeah. maybe we'll meet some other time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just not being afraid to do that. Right. Uh, and very quickly, you know, I've managed to, to really grow the network. I accept invites from people who invite me particularly if they send me a message that says why they want to connect. Sure, yeah. If it's just somebody that just looks like they're wanting to sell something. And yeah, I yeah, check, have yeah. they viewed my profile? Yes. And if they haven't viewed my profile before they've asked to connect, yeah. I think, well, I'm mm-hmm. not sure that there's any course, yeah, yeah. any business yeah. reason to connect. So my, my connections are relevant. I publish articles. I publish updates. I'll give an example, I was at the National Health Services procurement conference this week for right. Scotland. Yeah. Well what I did was I got my picture taken at a stand mm-hmm. um, with the people who were exhibiting there and it's got their message out there to my network. Yes. But they're also a, a potential client for me as well. Right, right. But being willing to help 
tell somebody help other people story, as well yeah. to like other people's updates yes. yeah. to share in their in their joy and maybe the bad times sometimes um, and also to this year I've started to I got advised by somebody show your vulnerability okay and yep. people connect with this right. so my vulnerable area was that I really I'd focused on business for the last four years yeah I now needed to focus on my health a bit as well right um, since getting married and it's not my wife's fault you know nearly 20 years ago I'd put on four stone right um, contentment we'll call it and had gone from 11 and a half stone to 15 and a half and I thought I need to really tackle this now sure so I'm going to put a message out, a video message on LinkedIn mm-hmm. to say I'm going to lose four stone in a year and I'm going to post a video update every month mm. to hold myself accountable. Again, like sort of 10,000 people are connecting with that now yeah. and I'm getting lots yeah. of views and comments and then I go to a meeting and there's maybe a big plate of chocolate biscuits or glasses <laughs> of wine or Prosecco and people say, oh, how's your campaign going, Andrew? Like, like, good reminder. Yeah, well, it's holding you to account yes, now, isn't it? It's quite, it works both ways. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen, seen your videos and it's, I think getting a, a feel of, of somebody's personal life and their their, their human mm. sort of as you say vulnerability and things they're trying to achieve it really helps to engage people on, on social media doesn't it so you've been well connected quite early on um in the, the company's history it seems to me you managed to lure the scottish rugby legend david soul on board as an unexec director how did you attract him to the business and what benefits has it brought it was a chance and it also wasn't a chance encounter um i was in Entrepreneurial Scotland and went to an evening event where David Soul was a speaker on networking. He'd written a book with oh, Linda yeah. Roberts on networking and David Soul had been a bit of a hero of mine anyway. And amazingly for me, this event, it wasn't a massive event. It was probably only around about 40 people there. Mm. But at the interval where there were some drinks, David Soul just came up and spoke to me. Right. And what I found was he was, I was expecting this was going to be somebody who was going to perhaps talk about rugby or talk about his um, executive coaching that he does. But instead, it was somebody who wanted to talk to me, wanted had never heard of me, but was interested in what I did. Mm. And he said, "Oh, I says I've tried to to do some bids, and he says not really what I do. He says I'd never realised that there was help available." He said, I think you're onto something here. Mm-hmm. I mean, he heard a bit about the business journey. We were probably about 18 months in business at that point. Right. And going around in my head was the idea, I'd never run a business and I wanted to bring in more people and I wanted to have a board that yep. met every three months. I wanted governance and I wanted people to hold me to account, mm-hmm. but also people that knew more than I did about business. Okay. That, that, and also perhaps somebody that could open doors to other other businesses for me. So I was um, considering uh, somebody else as well who'd set up a business and sold it and it had grown enormously. And this person was now getting involved with smaller businesses and mm-hmm. to help grow them. So I was I, I looked at what he was able to provide and then I I've contacted David Soul a few weeks after meeting him and said, you know, I had this idea to have a board and I would be interested in discussion with you about being a non-exec chair. And he said, well, can you come and meet me at my office mm. in, in Edinburgh? So I did and discussed it and made him an offer. And he was just about to go on a trip to California for a week. So he said, I'm going to think about it while I'm away. David Soul's a very thoughtful person. Yeah. He doesn't do anything quickly. He's not knee-jerk. Um, so he thought about it. So I had a week of kind of wondering, was I going to sort of uh, land David Soul to assist the business? And he, right. he he phoned me as soon as he came back and he says, right. he said, I'm pretty sure it was going to be yes, but I just wanted to think about it. And yes, right. it is. Right. So that's now just over two years. Okay. He has signed for a further, well, he initially signed for a year. We thought, we thought it would do a year first. I also, you know, wanted to be sure I could afford him for more than a year. Mm. At the end of the year, the value was obvious and I offered him another three years, right. which he accepted. So and what, what has that value proved to be? The, the, the value is business expertise of okay. a level that I didn't have myself. Right. I'd always worked for other people. He had set up his, he's set up yeah. two businesses, in fact, um, but he's also executive coaching 
mm. all kinds of business leaders. Um, so he and he's also uh, a very commercial person. Mm-hmm. So he was able to look at the commercials of what we are doing to help us to be sort of more commercially minded. Uh, but because of his executive coaching, he's got a very good um, focus on staff mm-hmm. and the whole people side of the business as well. I'm probably more task focused than people focused. So um, David has been very, very good with that. But he's also been a, a bit of a figurehead for the business as well. Sure. Externally, yep. but also internally. And a lot of the staff get to go and have almost like mini mentor sessions with them as well. And particularly for David Gray, who is our bid development director and the managing director designate of right. AM Bid, right. I wanted David to have somebody that, that he could really learn right. from and, and, and you know help his executive um, leadership right. training experience. Sure, yeah. Excellent. And of course David's opened his black book a little bit and introduced right. us to people that he thinks have a need or would be relevant yeah. for us. So we have a a, a bit of business on the back of David's connections right. as well. Any free tickets to Murrayfield? Um, no, I'm not even uh, sure how many right. he gets himself. <laughs> but uh, I've I've never I've never asked him. Uh, one of my cheeky clients said, "Could you ask David Soul to get us four free tickets to Scotland, England?" This was last year, and I said, "Well, David's never actually offered me any tickets, mm. so I'm not about to." You know, ask for sure. somebody he doesn't know, to, and for it's quite a big ask. That <laughs> no, was a good game. Yeah. I was there. Yeah. Um, okay, so you explained earlier, Andrew, what your goals were in terms of building the business over eight years and, and beyond. Um, what do you think that the key challenges are going to be in achieving the rest of that? I think. Um, investment or not investment has been a decision that our board has taken. Uh, we took it about a year ago that we were growing organically, seeming to grow quite well, growing in a sustainable manner and not actually um, seeking investment. But that was a decision then. I don't know if that will stay the decision. Uh, we'll just need to wait and see. Um, I think the challenge for us, I mean, growing organically, we think we've cracked that. I say that, but who knows, you know, and there's all kinds of headwinds out there, uh, not to mention Brexit, of course, Yeah, I mean, has that had any effect on on your business? Um, Probably the only effect it's had is that we should be recruiting to further full-time people. Mm. We've actually used associates at the moment um, for these two posts, uh, just because we wanted to wait and see how things were going to land a bit. Right. uh, Because if... The public sector, about 75% of the bids we do are to the public sector. And if they chose to extend a lot of their contracts, a lot of the contracts have extension options. Well, extensions, of course, aren't good news for my business because extensions don't create a kind of new tender opportunity. Sure. So there could have been scope for there to be a lot less bids out there if Mm. the public sector started using a lot of the extension options. So far, we've not seen too much evidence of that. And in fact, this month, you know, as we speak, March 2019, maybe our biggest month ever um, really? right. for revenue and yeah. or, or the second biggest yeah, month yeah, ever. Yeah. So we're not seeing the slowdown yet. Mm. Uh, but yeah, the, there um, certainly was two full-time jobs that we decided to put right. on hold. Okay. So, so that, that's, that's the only... Caution is a, a big thing at the moment across the board, isn't it? Just yeah, and I think I think it seems sensible. The other other challenges are um, growing our staff base, mm. um, growing the diversity of our staff. So we are largely a male team at the moment, yep. um, not solely but largely, and we definitely want to get more females um, yep. in our team. We also um, want to um, have more let's say, ethnic and cultural diversity as well. Yes. So um, just increasing that, because we think actually that will probably make us more attractive to other staff, staff who are thinking about joining, also make us more attractive to other clients. Mm -hmm. And diversity is actually good for business. It it is proven, as Mm -hmm. David Soul reminds me, it's proven that diverse businesses are actually more profitable businesses as well. So that's a little challenge for us. Um, the market for our services is massive mm. um, and probably um, 
not being ambitious enough. Um, at one of the judging ceremonies that I was at for one of the awards, a judge said to me, so what's going to happen, you know, after year five when you're a million, what will year eight look like? And I said, maybe two or three million turnover. He said, your business could be 10 or 15. I said, it probably could, but it'll need other people to take it forward as well. Right. Because right. It, actually, this getting it, the aeroplane off the ground, getting the momentum has taken a huge amount out of me personally as well. And right. I was always conscious that I could sustain that level of effort for five years. Mm. But at the end of five years, I was going to move into a head of business development role okay. yeah. and transition David Gray to be the managing yes. director. So long hours, working nights, been and weekends. Of, yeah, there's been a lot of a lot of long mm. hours, um, and a lot of times where I've said to my wife and family, um, "Oh no, I can't make that. Sorry, I can't do this. Sure. And can yeah. we put that on hold? And can we do that later? Or can you just go there yourself, Emma, or whatever?" Yeah. So I'm definitely looking to scale that back because obviously people's patience has a limit for that sort of, of thing as well. We actually met originally through the Scottish Business Network, and I know AM Bid's been is a very active participant in that. Um, what sort of benefits have you drawn from that, and what do you enjoy about it? And has it helped your business grow at all? It's definitely helped her business grow. Um, I knew Russell Douglas very slightly before the Scottish Business Network, um, but you know, really getting to know Russell, getting to know Christy Nesson, uh, getting to know Kendra Byers and Scott Douglas, they've all been great. They're all great advocates of AM Bid. And we made a conscious decision that actually we joined um, Scottish Business Network in January of 2018, which was the same month we re- we started our first London-based employee. Okay. So yep. we thought since most of the Scottish Business Network meetings are in London and we've now got an employee in London, mm. that will give us an opportunity to spend time with our employee, to bring Peter Sharp along to the Scottish Business Network meetings and connect him to the London-based sort of side of the network as well. And David Gray and I have alternated attendance yes. at it. Yeah. And I'm proud to say that since we joined Scottish Business Network, there has been an AM bid person at every business network right. meeting. Right, right. Well, so, that's probably a record, I should imagine. Well, I don't know. But, 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 um, and on the very first night I was there, uh, Christine introduced me to somebody who works in IT who was having um, bidding, some bidding challenges. So we got some work right on the very first night. And we've had some other work from it as well. But what I would say is it's more the profile raising and the introductions. Yeah. Um, for example, I met Tom Marchbanks through it, who had been very active in Dubai um, for Scottish Development um, Institute. And um, he's opened my ideas around perhaps doing work in the Middle East. Right. Again, probably yeah. not something I'll take forward, but other people that work for me likely will be taking that forward. Excellent. That ambition wouldn't have been um, realised, I don't think, without or even thought of without a Scottish Business Network yeah. event. Brilliant. As well as listening to a lot of the interviews that you do yourself, mm. um, Fraser, with yeah. you know people that have um, achieved a lot in business. I mean, Sherry Kutu particularly it was it was somebody that. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed her, sure, you know, yeah. her yeah. interview. and But actually, everybody that, that's been interviewed in these one-hour slots, you know, as yeah. still a fairly new in business myself, I felt I've learned a lot from them. There's some fascinating characters with a lot of wisdom to share, mm-hmm. for sure. And uh, when you're talking about fascinating people with things to share, do you have any sort of other kind of heroes in business that you've... You've, you've learned from or that you particularly admire? Yeah, well, I've been quite influenced, I think, by Dragon's Den. Oh, really? Yeah, oh. Um, I really like Dragon's Den. Yeah. And um, I think the rigour that they put people through in terms of the, the business ideas, and um, although not necessarily needing to go to Dragon's Den or even having the courage to do it myself, um, I tr- I've always tried to imagine when I'm making business decisions, well, what would some of the Dragon's say about this Um, so that's been good Um, I worked in as I say in local government for 12 years nine years of which was for somebody called Martin Armstrong and he's the chief executive now of Wheatley Housing Group which is the largest housing association in Scotland about 80,000 homes under management and one of the largest in the UK and what I learned a lot from Martin I worked very closely with him throughout that period 
And actually, um, it was tremendous that on the night I won the Institute of Directors Award for Emerging Director of the Year, Martin won it for um, Best Big Business Director of the right. Year. And that was the first time that award had been won by a third sector business leader. Um, but, you know, some of our clients, you know, uh, working in small businesses, I'm hugely impressed with Richard Tinto of Tinto Architecture in Aberdeen. Uh, impresses me hugely, um, as does Grant Galloway of G uh, G two Refrigeration and Air Conditioning in Glasgow. So, you know, people that have just what is it about them that? Well, just that they're they're um, people that in in their sort of early twenties started okay. a business yeah. and they've just run with it. You know, for ten years plus. Yeah. Um, very you know very impressive, and on a on a more personal level, um, Simon Bourne, the hand dyed shoe company. This is a, a really uh, quirky, innovative person who um, hand paints um, very good quality um, European leather shoes. And I bought, I was only his second customer. He's based in Durham. And uh, Did bought, you ask for a discount? Um, <laughs> I, I probably didn't. That's per your, your I first mean, time. I, I got them a lot cheaper than, than yeah. what they cost now because he's become quite a designer. Sounds brand. very intriguing. Yeah, Simon Bourne, the hand dyed shoe company. Um, I believe you also get involved in some activities to kind of give something back to society. What, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, and giving back, just harking back to an earlier question you asked, Fraser, millennial generation. The millennial generation want to be working for something with a purpose as well. They don't just want to be you know, working for salary for themselves and profit for the business. They want to think that the business is going to give something back. So getting getting them involved in giving back has been hugely fulfilling. Mm. Um, we are the first... Um, a person that we worked with was Josh Quigley, the oh, Tartan yeah. Explorer, as he was called then, a young suicide survivor. And what that meant was for one of our young employees who was exactly the same age as Josh, Cameron Houston, um, he went on a couple of trips with Josh. Right. So he did a week cycling, um, and that was Nice to Pisa, including going through Monte Carlo and all kinds of stuff. So they had a great time. And then Cameron was Josh's driver while Josh cycled um, Land's End to John O'Croats. Okay, in right, week. right. Um, so we've done quite a lot with Josh quickly. Um, another Josh that we were inspired by was Little John, Josh Little John mm. of Social Bite. Yep. Uh, we were up for some awards with Edinburgh Chamber of Commerce about three years ago, and Josh Littlejohn was the after-dinner speaker, and we all got inspired by Social Bite and what he was doing. Um, and we have done quite a bit with Social Bite, including two sleep in the parks. Um, my team, uh, five did, or there's five of them, did the first sleep in the park. My wife said, uh, you will die if you do it, because your chest isn't great and... Um, she, it turned out to be minus seven that first night and she was right, I probably would have died so um, <laughs> instead restricted my contribution to a financial one and let my staff obviously uh, support their participation another member of staff uh, Ollie Lars, Oliver Lars he did the Glasgow one last year Yep. Uh, and we, we obviously supported that We've done uh, pro bono work for Waverly Care and that came about because one of our clients is on the board there and asked if we could do a bit of pro bono work just to help them with, with their bids as well. Um, and we also give a charity and social enterprise discount as well. Okay. So we do work yep. with quite a number of charities yep. who are benefiting from discounted rates from us. Well, Andrew, I've very much enjoyed listening to you. And actually, uh, if I turn my head up, you've got amazing views of rural East Lothian behind me. What about your, your own background? Do you, do you come from this area? Where, where, did, you, where did you originally no, come we, from? No, we've lived here for 14 years. I, mean, I spent the first five years of my life in Glasgow. I had a father that, that was Glaswegian. Uh, my mother um, comes from the Outer Hebrides. She's still with us. Um, so the family then moved to the Outer Hebrides when I was five years oh, really? of age. Whereabouts? Yeah, to Uist. Right. And spent five years on Uist. My mother comes from North Uist. And we then moved to Perth. Uh, so I was in Perth from the age of 10. I suppose if anywhere's home, it's probably Perth. Um, I spent um, about 12 years in Larbert in Stirlingshire. And then we moved through to East Lothian, basically to do a bit of caring. My wife's mother, um, who was in East Yorkshire, um, is 
close to being housebound and my wife was continually going up and down to help her mum and I said mm-hmm. well why don't we just join the family sort of together and we bought a house in East Lothian and they sold their house and built an annex on the end of our house uh, for themselves and I've got my mother in Gullen and my wife's sisters in Haddington so we're all all very close here together in East Lothian and absolutely love it Um, live near a train station with a train into Edinburgh and can get to Dunbar quite easily as well where I get the the 610 train to London I've seen you on it I think yes Yes. and uh, there's another one comes back at half past Mm -hmm. five which gets you back to Dunbar at 20 to 10 one of my clients yesterday who's down south said to me you know he said we're only less than 100 miles from London but we're kind of in the south he said it can take me just about four hours to get into the centre of Mm -hmm. London so what not to like yeah absolutely and just finally when you've had a hard week Working away, finally knock off on a Friday evening if you're able to. How do, how do you relax? Um, in a variety of ways. My wife is a, a local music teacher. She teaches piano and violin, so we um, get involved a bit in the local music um, scene. We go to the Haddington Concert Society uh, events, recitals. Of course, it's great being so near Edinburgh. There's many things there, and also with the festival um, in Edinburgh as well. For holidays, probably our favourite places are Italy. And last summer, we, we went to Portofino for the first time. Most of the time, we go to Sorrento and Amalfi and Capri and everything. But um, absolutely love Portofino. Um, but we also go to the Outer Hebrides as often as we can right, as well. Right. And we also have a bit of a passion for going to country houses for the weekend and enjoying some nice food and some nice walks. And um, as you see, I've got a walk very near my house here, a three-mile country walk. And we also love the East Lothian beaches for walks Mm. as well. Yeah, lovely part of the world. And thank you very much. It's been fascinating listening to you, Andrew. Thank you, Fraser. So there you go. I've never heard of anyone successfully hitting their business growth targets bang on every year from their initial five-year business plan. So Andrew clearly has a great eye for detail, which he and his team are also able to help their clients with. He's got a great voice too, hasn't he? A blend of Perth and North Uist. Very mellifluous and great for a podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and we'll be back with another episode in two weeks. To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.